0: You can open your Bibles with me this morning um, to the epistle to the Hebrews will be in the end. That's the 13th chapter, Hebrews chapter 13. There is an outline also in your bulletin if you see that. You're certainly welcome to follow along with the message this morning, Hebrews chapter 13. I do not think it was an accident that this uh, shall I say rather specific maybe topic as we to preached on this morning when most of our pastors are on vacation. However, bear with me. Perhaps this is the perfect opportunity to preach on this passage. Hebrews chapter 13. Why is leadership so hard? In some way, in many ways, I'm willing to bet that most people in this room this morning or who are watching or who are turning in, have leadership in some way or fashion or form. Perhaps you lead an office or a company. Perhaps you lead a classroom full of monsters. I mean children. Perhaps you, shall I say, lead your spouse. Or perhaps you lead your children. Perhaps you lead a seminary. Or maybe you lead a church. Um, So often in my life, uh, whether on purpose or not, I find myself in a position of leadership. I've been a youth pastor. I've been an assistant pastor. I've been a senior pastor. Yet one of the things that I really learned leadership through was years ago and shall I say maybe 30 pounds ago, um, part of my ministry was leading backpack trips in the Colorado Rockies. Certainly those who have known me over the years know that that's one of my favorite things. I was born and raised in the Rockies, and I love, I love backpacking. So for many years, I had a ministry that I would lead youth groups or camp groups, etc. Usually they were teenagers, and I would lead them up in the Rockies and take them. Well... Somewhat interestingly, that was one of the hardest things. That's where I cut my teeth, as it is, on leadership. Why, you ask? Well, because imagine having a bunch of 7th and 8th graders and you're responsible for their safety, right? And you're in the Rockies and you have to lead them not over one pass but two and then turn around and lead them back and their parents are expecting them to return in somewhat similar shape. That's a lot of responsibility. When I was a younger man leading, I thought that leadership was always in the front of the group, say, maybe military-esque, right? So I would lead in the front, right? Well, being from Colorado, I had no issue with the altitude, so I didn't see or know why all the flatlanders from the Midwest behind me were gasping for air, However, after a number of trips, I realized that often leadership is not in the front. In particular, a group of junior hires. Why not? Because you can't see them. And they have a tendency to wander off. I think Mr. Brewer understands this exactly. They have a tendency to do their own thing. You have to organize. Yet when you lead a backpacking trip, you cannot organize from an office. You cannot lead through pontification. You cannot show the example um, by being, let's say, in an air-conditioned office and leading people on paper. You have to be there. So after a few years, I started to realize that as the leader of the group, my job was to be in the rear, in the back, so I would know, so I could see the group in front of me, so I would see if anyone was hurting or struggling or they were stragglers. I could organize the group and I could push. So often leadership is not about pulling, is it? What? It's about pushing. True leadership has to be leadership, I think, often from the rear And it has to be that leadership of example. The book of Hebrews shows us a lot about Hebrews. It shows us a lot about leadership. It shows us a lot about many things. However, the point of Hebrews is to point us to something. When you lead a group, especially when they're backpacking, they have a destination. So often you have to reach that destination before the storm or the rain set in or the evening comes Here, the author of Hebrews is going to show us throughout the entirety of the book that our faith is set on Jesus, the God-man, amen? He is the originator of our faith. He is the propagator of our faith. He is the point of our faith, is that correct? It's all about him. And throughout the book, you see this whole idea that the old covenant, the old way, the Old Testament is interwoven to this new covenant, right? so we see the old covenant was good yet it was what it was it was temporary it was moses the law now when they rejected or they violated the old covenant the outcome was judgment scary yet now as christians with the high and ultimate mediator the final priest jesus the christ we have a new covenant don't we that is everlasting it's better And by the way, Hebrews is going to show us that if we reject said covenant, the outcome is scarier. So throughout the book or woven throughout, there are warning ideas or passages. In specific, there are five. We find it in chapters 2 and 3. And then there's a lengthy one in chapters 5. It goes into chapter 6. And then in chapter number 10, it's an interesting one. Matter of fact, this was a text that I think was two and a half months ago as our pastor preached from. These are verses that you would likely all remember. This one the author says this, chapter number 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us then consider one another so that we may stir up love and good works not forsaking the assemblies of yourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the what? The day approaching. What day is that? What dawn is that? Well, if you know the book of Hebrews, you know the author is pulling from the Old Testament. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of days, the eschatological day, the day that encompasses basically the whole book of Revelation. That is the day that is described by Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Zechariah, by Obadiah, by Amos, by Malachi. That's the day that Joel says, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. That's the day that Isaiah says, you will be visited by the Lord of the armies with thunder and earthquake and great noise and whirlwind and tempest. And here it is, and a flame that devours. Uh, then Peter says in chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. What? Be burned up and they will be dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. This is the judgment. The um." Here the author is using this Old Testament example of judgment because he's saying what? Lead on. He's saying persevere. Don't give up in the Lord because rejection of the new covenant is scarier. So the motives or the themes if you will of judgment and perseverance and salvations are interwoven. In chapter number 12 we find another warning passage. This is what the author says. See that that you what? you do not refuse he who speaks for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from he who speaks from heaven there is warnings in this book it's supposed to be somewhat scary So often I think we don't attach the idea of leadership in specific ecclesiastical or church leadership with the idea of judgment, except that's exactly what I'm here this morning to do. Leave it up to a seminary guy to shatter the stereotypes. So the end of chapter number 12, what do we see? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us offer unto God acceptable worship With what? Reverence and awe. Now notice the Old Testament allusions to the day of the Lord and fire. Look what the author says in verse number 29. For our God is a what? Consuming fire. That is the day of the Lord language. That is judgment language. And then in chapter number 13, we have this beautiful, almost like a punctiliar, say, imperatives. Here's how you lead a life that is worthy of worship, with reverence and awe. what Kimball read for us here, right? Let brotherly love then continue. This is chapter number 13. Do not forget to be hospitable. Remember those in prison. What? Have sexual purity. What? Keep the marriage bed pure. Don't love money. All these things show us how on a day-to-day basis, we can lead. Lives of reverence and awe, knowing that the day of days is near. Yet, look at verse number seven. This is where we begin the outline this morning. (laughs) How we lead lives of worthy worship is to remember our leaders. How we lead lives that are worthy of worship is to remember our leaders. So look what the author says in verse number seven. Continue to remember your leaders. I know your Bible just says remember, um, but the verbal force is a continuous idea there. As those who spoke the word of God to you. The author is referring to the leaders that have died, the leaders that shared the gospel with those believers, and what? And consider the outcome and conduct, their way of life, as it were, and mimic or somebody will say the word imitate," their faith. On your outline, number one, remember the past leaders who passed down the gospel, who passed down the gospel first. Uh, John says this, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, what then concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest. Then he goes on and says, And that which we have seen we testify and proclaim to you. The point is, what John is getting at, is that he heard something from Jesus... And he, what, is simply then taking the baton, the message, the good news, and passing it on to the next individual. And if you accept the baton, you have fellowship with Jesus. Right? So if A equals B and B equals C, what does C equal? A, right? Transitive, if you will. So if we have fellowship with the apostles, if we take that baton, that message that good news, and we hold it, then we also have fellowship with Jesus himself, that new covenant mediator. So how you know and love and respect your leaders, number one, is you remember your past leaders because they gave you the gospel. While I do not believe you can trace the church through also, one uh, very specific historical line you can trace it through a spiritual line can 't you? How are you saved? Well, certainly, with the death blood, right burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. however, the reason why you heard the gospel is because someone told you and someone told them, so on, and so forth. You are in a line. do you see that we 're all connected. This is a major theme here then. Oh, that's moving on. They also, this is the past leaders, they persevered in the faith. So they are the ones that passed the gospel down to you. They are the ones that persevered in the faith. Look what he says. They spoke the word of God unto you, so then consider the outcome of their life, their conduct. This is an idiom the author is using to say how they lived their lives. What is the point? Do you remember those in your life that have gone on before? who were examples of perseverance? Well, certainly the author does. As a matter of fact, (laughs) there is a whole chapter dedicated to said individuals, correct? Chapter 11. So past leaders are the ones who passed the gospel down, who persevered in the faith. They ran their race, and look at this, and pointed to Jesus, the ultimate example So you then consider the outcome of their conduct and imitate or mimic their faith. What does Hebrews chapter 12 say in verse 1? Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Have you ever stood in a cloud On one particular uh, backpacking group, I I was leading a group of teenagers up what we call in Colorado a fort, so a 14 or 14,000 foot uh, mountain or peak. And you have to reach the top usually by about noon at the latest, so you get started about maybe 3 a.m. and hike in the dark for a while, because that's when the storms then come in. By the way, you're at 14,000 feet. A storm doesn't come in above you, a storm can come in. Then below you I have seen storms form actually below me. And I remember this group of junior hires I was up there, and the clouds rolled in, not above us, but around us. And it is an eerie feeling. Why? Because the moisture then consumes you. It is all around you. Here the phrase that the author is using has to do, not with a physical cloud, but with a crowd of people. Have you ever stood in the middle of a crowd of people, throngs of them, and they're all looking at you, right? Well, this is what the author is going to show us. Remember the past, and in chapter number 11, he talks about those great heroes of the faith, such as, look, as Abel, as Enoch, as Noah, as Abraham, Sarah, Rahab the prostitute, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah. These are all leaders in the past that we are to look to, we are to imitate because we remember them. Who are your leaders? Who's in your cloud, as it were? Yes, as a seminarian, I love sitting in my library office and I love being surrounded Right? Um, on all sides almost. I'll say through and by my books. Because there's something metaphysical that happens in the physical. So I'm surrounded by these heroes, the individuals that I read and I feel like they're my friends. People like Athanasius of Alexandria, Cyprian of Carthage who was martyred under the emperor uh, um, this, I believe it was Valerian and who led such a life that for many generations afterwards Christians would hold feasts on his grave. These are men like the doctor of the church, Augustine of Hippo, the Roman senator, Boethius, the Benedictine monk whose name is Anselm and that mystifying reformer, John Calvin. These are my friends and they surround me. They speak to me more than with their intellect and their writings. They speak to me with their lives because they have gone on before they are leading me from that great and wonderful beyond and they speak to me in their silence through their examples who are your past leaders maybe a pastor that you remembered. maybe the person that shared the gospel with you maybe that hero or heroine that you have I know one of mine is my great aunt who died at 106, and she was a member here at Fourth Baptist, I believe one of the oldest members on record, if I can brag a little bit. She led a fascinating life, a hard life. She was used and abused. She persevered in the faith. She was one of the godliest women that I know, and even in the end, her life screamed, Jesus! She's as big to me is Augustine or Calvin or Anselm. She's in my cloud. Who's in yours? They surround you. They encourage you. They lead you. However, here the author is going to show leadership is not just those who have gone on before, but you have leaders that are present. Let's go to your outline number two. This is what the author says. We're going to skip uh, down here to verse number 17. Um, um, because the author uses what's called an inclusio in literary terms. It's like bookends, right? So you'll see verse number 7 and 17 sound very similar. So verse number 17, obey your leaders. By the way, this has the same verbal force. It's a continually obey your leaders, those who, what, are here and present. This this word that you read in English, obey, is somewhat interesting in the original language because it's not the word or the idea to obey because you have some sort of authority over someone this is not organizational sense or leadership this is an obedience that comes through I'll say something like persuasion so obey your present leaders number one because they bear the weight of shepherding souls isn't that what the author said he said to continue to what to obey and submit to the ones or to your leaders. I'm going to interpret that to the ones who are leading you now, for they are keeping watch or shepherding over your souls. The author adds this idea: shepherding souls, because that actually bears a future idea. What do our leaders or our pastors do? Oh, Brett, that's simple. Well, Pastor Matt is the CEO. He's the guy in charge. He's the prime, let's say, pastor. He preaches every week, and he leads the church. He, he makes important decisions, which, by the way, he does, I know. And they are weighty, let me tell you. And oh, there's Pastor Dan, and he helps administrate, and he leads us in worship and music, and there's Pastor Jared, and he helps lead the very young people and the seniors, the golden agers. And there's Pastor Jeremy, who helps to counsel and influence and help those. And there's Pastor Marcio. Who leads the teenagers? You know, they organize and they run the programs. That may be true. But don't make the mistake here right now of seeing the church through what is necessary. Are programs necessary? Sure. Are committees and boards and bylaws? Are those necessary? Yes. However, what is necessary is different from that which is essential the essence what is the essence of the church it's not boards and programs and committees it's this thing this strange and wonderful thing we call the body of christ that by the way we are not stationary as if a church is a static thing that exists like the people in the past and those who will go on then after us we are dynamic we are moving aren't we as the body of christ moving towards what the day of days, the day of salvation. So you should obey your leaders, not because they're CEOs, they're not. Not because they're vice presidents, they're not. It's because they bear the awesome weight of shepherding souls. Number two, they will answer on the day of the Lord. Isn't that what the author then says? Right? They watch over your Souls or shepherd them, as those who will give an account. This, this, this phrase, the original, has the word logos in it. Right? As those who will give a word. It's, it's an accounting term, actually, in the ancient world. As those who have to show their receipts in the end. And there better not be any money missing from the till. So when you see your pastors, do you see the weight that they have Yes, certainly they have to perform their duties. Uh, The essence of who they are is the leaders who are in front of us, who are in the midst of us, who are behind us, who are pushing. They shepherd souls. That's why the author... this I'll say, Paul, excuse me. First in Thessalonians chapter 5 says this We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. I love that. Who labor among you and who are over you. It's both and, right? Because a good leader is not just away leading, they're in the thick of it with you. And they admonish you. And look what he says. And Two, or you should esteem them very highly. In the Greek, that's like a superlative, highest of all. all, In love, because of their work. When you see your pastors, when you pray, your um, um, pray for your pastors. Excuse me. Don't see them as CEOs who have to make decisions. They are leaders who are in the thick of it with you. Now, this short sermon is also a challenge. To our leaders. Hence, Pastor Matt, who's our senior leader, don't lead us with some sort of a personality or program, even though he does both well. Charm us with Jesus, amen? And Pastor Dan, Who doesn't simply have administration duties, though he does. He doesn't simply stand up here on Sunday mornings and lead in singing. He's shaping your affections. Do you see that? He is shaping your affections and your love so that when you sing with your moral imagination, you are getting a glimpse of that future city. That, sir, is an awesome responsibility. And it comes with so much weight. Pastor Jared, when he introduces our children to the glories of Christ, it's so much more than being over a wana in the nursery. He is helping to shape young minds and with the elderly, the golden agers. It's so much more than just administrating and having activities, though they do have a lot, and I'm rather envious at times. No, what is he doing? He's saying, hang in there. You're almost there. The city awaits. Heaven awaits Don't waste your retirement just every day waking up hitting a small white ball on a field. And then there's Pastor Jeremy who sometimes has to be in the thick of it and he has to counsel those who hurt and who struggle. It's so much more than appointments and lunches. Do you see that? He is admonishing us. He's leading from the back. He's trying to push us. And Pastor Marcio Youth ministry is so much more than activities and adolescence, amen? It's so much more than dodgeball and donuts. It's so much more than Mountain Dew and muffins. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) It's so much more, and so I encourage Pastor Marcio, don't just entertain the teens. Excite their souls so they can see Jesus They will have to answer for their work on the day of days. That's why James says, not many of you should become what? Should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now number three. You should obey your leaders because they shepherd your souls. They will answer in the day of the Lord. Now you... should what? You should submit to your pastors because you, here's the challenge to you this morning, you are a part of the community of faith. This word submission in the Greek is different than uh, what is usually seen in scripture. This is a more rare word for submission because this isn't the submission through some sort of a hierarchy. No, this is the submission that you could see maybe on the battlefield someone who's in the military, a soldier who's at a constant state of ready, waiting for their orders, waiting to hear the trumpet so they can move. This is a submission that's anticipatory. Submit to your pastors because you, number one I said, are a part of the community of faith. This is very important. Salvation is indeed individual, but... The result of salvation is what? Is then communal. Because the Holy Spirit upon salvation baptizes us into this mysterious body of Christ. As I said, that is not a static thing. It's an organism that's, that's moving and anticipating the day of days. Priesthood of the believer does not mean some sort of private I- um, isolation, I should say that. Having a personal relationship with God does not obviate your need for leadership. Amen? Having individual soul liberty, which we believe is Baptist, does not mean or equate to some sort of individualism. That which is necessary, as I said before, has to be seen as lower than that which is essential. The church is more than just its programs. It's more than just the things that happen. Don't you see the church is a spiritual thing, an organism, not an organization, and we are moving towards what? Towards the day of days. That great judgment in the future, yet at the same time, that same day, there is a marriage supper of the land. Have you ever heard of anyone who is in the static or constant state of engagement. Let's just say if that was uh, likely the case, I think she dropped the bum. Now the whole point of engagement is not a static state, right? It's a dynamic state. You're moving to something. You and I are in the body of Christ. In metaphor in the New Testament, we're called the bride of Christ. And the marriage supper of the lamb is right over the hill. That wonderful and scary and joyous and terrifying day of days where Christ will get his bride and he will have the supper and there will be a consummation. That is your goal. That's why you have leaders. Not because they organize. It's because they show you through their lives, through their words, and through their leadership. They say the city is It's right over the pass. This holy organism, this body of Christ, it's moving. We await, as I said, the marriage supper of the land. Realize that our pastors are helping to lead us. Leaders lead to something. They encourage us onward. They lead from the front at times, except they also lead from the back at times. And sometimes they have to push and sometimes they have to admonish and sometimes they have to discipline, realize the point of it so that you can be his bride. That's the point. I think when we look at our pastors, don't just see your pastor. See the day of days in the future. So as I encourage the pastors, shepherd us to something, somewhere. Guide us and lead us to the new country. Help us, show us, and charm us with Jesus the Christ. Help us see he who is invisible and immortal. Help us imagine the unimaginable. Show us the radiant city whose maker and builder is God. You should submit unto your pastor because you're a part of the community of faith and you will answer on the day of the Lord just like them. Look what the author says at the end of the text. So you obey and submit, right? So that they may do this with joy and not with groaning for this would be harmful to you or not profitable. Your English, I think, gets it wrong. Because we have the idea of not profitable, but it's, oh, no big deal, it's just not profitable, right? So if I give my pastor a hard time, eh, no big deal, it's just something that's unprofitable. No, this word is not used anywhere else in the Greek New Testament, did you know that? The author brought it in from secular Greek, it's a very interesting word, because it has a negative, he's using an accounting phrase, just like he did at the beginning of the verse, and he is saying it would be harmful. And so, in secular Greek and ancient Greek, this was a term that had to do with your own receipts, your own accounts. Hence, if you cause your leaders to have to shepherd you with groaning, and we all know what that is, so I don't have to explain that or illustrate that, you will stand someday on the day of days before your maker. And you will answer, as will they. Because we're all a part of the thing that is moving in a direction. You need me. Well, you say, hang on, Brett, I don't know if I'll go that far. Okay, fine, but I need you. And we need one another because we're a part of something that is beautiful and that is dynamic. It's not about the programs. It's not about the organization. It's about the day of days. Hence, in verse number 14, this is what Kimball read for us. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's why you should obey your pastors, because there's a city waiting for you. That's why you should submit and be ready and serve and saying, what can I do? How can I help? Because there's a city waiting for you. I remember one particular trip there was a young lady I was leading from the back uh, and we were going over a pass in Colorado it's called Elkhead it's over 12,000 feet she was a Minnesota gal who if you'd look at her you'd say what are you doing on a backpacking trip or I was leading from the back I had the group of stragglers with me she said Pastor breath. there's no way I can do this I said yes you can and I opened up her pack and I took something of hers and put it on mine We went a little ways. There's no way I can do this, Pastor Brett. Yes, you can. I opened up her pack, took a little bit of weight and put it, what, on mine. He went a little bit of ways. I can't do this, Pastor Brett. Yes, you can. In the end, I carried about half of her pack. And right as we approached the crest, she was done. She said, I'm done. And I looked at her, I said, I want you to take five steps. Just five. One, two, three, four, five. She said, I'm done. I said, I know. Let's take five more. One, two, three, four, five. She said, Pastor Brett, I am done. And I looked at her. I said, young lady, look, you can see the top. You're almost there. And I grabbed her backpack and physically I helped to push her Slowly but surely we crested this beautiful pass at 12,000 feet and we saw one of the most beautiful valleys in all of Colorado. And her eyes went from the ground and her eyes went from being weary. They lifted up and they lightened and she saw the beauty and she looked at me and she said, Pastor Brett, we made it! <laughs> um, to which I answered, yes! Yes! <clears throat> Who cares if I had to take her weight? Who cares if your pastors have to take your weights every now and then? Who cares if I had to push her physically? Who cares if your pastors have to push you spiritually? We made it. You should obey your pastors because the day of our salvation is near. Now, may the God of peace Who brought again from the dead our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through and by the blood of the covenant that is everlasting, equip you with every good thing, so that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus the Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said.